Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stat Sheet Podcast is presented by Boxscore Network. Boxscore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out Boxscore Network and follow Boxscore Network on Twitter at Bscore Network for updates. Welcome back in, everybody, to the Stat Shoot Podcast. We're excited to have you on board. We just watched a rather unexpected thriller between the Vikings and the 49ers on Monday Night Football. We had not one, but three exciting primetime games this week, plus a few other things that we'll talk about. Not quite as many injuries, so good news for some NFL teams. Is have, they have been battling with a lot of those over the past uh, opening few weeks, really. Everybody's here tonight. Simon Short, as always. Ronan Summers, as always. I am here, of course. It is good to have all of you with us. Simon, let's get started. The uh, Vikings upset the 49ers on Monday Night Football. Um, We thought it might be a blowout for the 49ers, but the Vikings hung in there and actually pulled out the victory. So get us started. Yeah, I just want to um, accept all thank yous and donations from Skull Nation because I reverse jinxed this game. I messaged Ronan and Ben <laughs> at about 2 p.m. this afternoon. I was like, hey, let's be prepared for a 49ers blowout if we can hop on the podcast early. Um, and lo and behold, here we are, 22-17 Minnesota primetime. Kirk strikes yet again, 35 of 45, 378 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. No sacks taken by Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, just a a really good game. If you're going to describe kind of the perfect game execution for a Vikings team, this is what it would look like. Over 400 yards of offense and, and a defense that was chaotic and fast, opportunistic, gave up some plays. But this is how the Vikings were kind of built to try and win this season. Um, I thought it was a really good game overall. We'll dive into specifics later, but Ronan, what, what were your kind of overall thoughts from the game? Simon, going into this game, um, obviously you, you, we mentioned it. it. It did not seem like the Vikings had all that much of a shot, right? We we were all kind of, oh, this 49ers team, they're going to steamroll them. They've, they've been on a nice pace so far this season. They're Vikings are without Justin Jefferson. And then, uh, a rookie wide receiver by the name of Jordan Addison steps up, takes that number one mm-hmm. uh, receiver role, and seven receptions, 123 yards, uh, two touchdowns. He also tossed for, uh, I forget what the yard, I think like 30-some-odd yards. Um, Jordan Addison had himself a game, and that might have been his welcome to the NFL, like, hey, I'm here, game right there, because prime time, all the eyes are on him. Vikings are without their number one target, Justin Jefferson. Kirk has to find somebody. And, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson is a pretty viable target, but Kirk chose Jordan Addison tonight, and I think it was the right choice, Ben. Yeah, and I'm a believer in the Vikings, but not without Justin Jefferson. I said two weeks ago on this very podcast, without Jefferson, put a fork in them. They're just not going to do anything significant. And here they are beating the 49ers. And, and listen, we liked Jordan Addison during the offseason. I think at least a couple of us did back before the draft. But again, really not without Jefferson, right? You kind of figure Addison yeah. gets his ops because Jefferson's dragging all the attention all over the field. And here they are without Jefferson. And Addison just lights it up. 
And uh, Simon, you mentioned that just a tremendous offensive output plus an aggressive defense. It's a lot of fun to watch. You know, even if you're not a Vikings fan, it's a lot of fun to watch, Simon. Yeah, I mean, this is almost like uh, like, like this is what Gen Z NFL watching is, right? Last <laughs> week, I think we talked a lot about like two weeks ago, we had all the ugly primetime games. I was just like low scoring because it was bad offenses last week it was a lot of good defenses right so we were excited about that and now it's just like trevor lawrence slinging the ball around kirk cousins throwing the ball you know jordan addison seven for 123 like just like deep shot after deep shot electric play explosiveness i mean ton ton of fun all the way through and you know ben you mentioned jordan addison and what makes him a good fit for minnesota and why we were worried about the production of the offense sustaining without Justin Jefferson. Well, this is why Minnesota traded for TJ Hawkinson last year. You know, everyone kind of snickered at them a couple of day two picks for a tight end, one they were going to have to pay, one that they did pay big, one that went in and out throughout this game with some injuries, um, maybe one or two slightly exaggerated for timekeeping purposes by the Vikings early on. Um but Hawkinson, 11 catches, 86 yards on 12 targets, right? Teams know Kirk wants to target Hawkinson, uh, just no matter what the situation is, whether he should be checking down or not, whether he's double covered or not, whatever it is, Hawkinson gets 12 targets, and that helps make Jordan Addison open on the outside and deep. And I really like the way Minnesota continued to spread the ball even beyond those two guys, Brandon Powell, four catches on five targets, KJ Osborne, five catches on six targets, um, a number of plays out of the backfield to multiple running backs, just really looking to spread the ball around and attack through the air and, and Kirk doing it, not just in that check down fashion, Ben, but also pushing the ball deep to multiple different players. So this was honestly one of the best Kirk games and he's had a really good season, I think. But this was a really good Kirk game to do it against this 49ers defense, pushing it all over the field into multiple receivers. Really impressed with Cousins. I, I think we all obviously all are. And he's had good games before. He's had huge games before, usually not on primetime, usually not against a good team like this, and usually not without Jefferson. So check, check, check. Here he is at 378 yards in the air, only the one pick to start off the game. And then from pretty much almost all the way the rest of the game, it's perfect. Tremendous. I, I just can't say enough about the Vikings offense here. They ran the ball a little bit. You know, their yards per carry were just enough. You know, they even said that on the, on the broadcast. But you look back at the stats, they were getting just enough yards to kind of maybe slow down. But, Simon, I thought you mentioned the key even, you know, this afternoon, 2 o'clock this afternoon, you said, hey, the Vikings offensive line, maybe they keep it close. And they did because it was mentioned several times. The 49ers didn't get any sacks on Kirk Cousins. They got some pressure, but it wasn't relentless, nonstop, in-your-face pressure. It was the kind of thing, certain plays, Cousins had to let go of the ball earlier than he wanted to, but then there were several other plays where he had enough time to get the ball off. And, and just a tremendous job there by the offensive line, decent on the running game, and then Kirk Cousins throwing the ball all over the field to lots of different people, but especially Addison and Hawkinson. Ronan, what else you got on the game, man? Well, Ben, uh, one thing on the San Francisco side of things that kind of stood out to me, Christian McCaffrey headed into this week uh, on the injury report, was viewed, I believe, day-to-day -day with an oblique injury. And then he he barely missed any time tonight, guys. Uh, so I, I know going into the season, there was a question about, you know, workload, 
you know, this and that. And then he goes out there, 15 carries uh, in three receptions, and he had two touchdowns tonight because, of course, he did. Uh, that touchdown streak is still alive. So, you know, whenever if if nothing else, if all else fails, uh, Christian McCaffrey can kind of be the thing that keeps this ship afloat because he is that good, uh, both in the running game and the passing game. Brock Purdy tonight, not necessarily what we've been seeing in the early weeks, guys. Simon, you're nodding your head. I think the uh, the anti-Brock Purdy agenda is finally starting to bud itself. It, it might be it a little lives. bit more respectable. It, it, it might. It <laughs> might. 21 for 30, so not terrible pa- uh, completion percentage. 272 yards, a touchdown, but two picks, uh, one of which came at the very end of the game as the 49ers were down five. Uh, just tried to thread the needle there on the run. Kind of an ugly pick. Uh, to be fair, whenever he threw that ball, I was like, oh, where's that thing going? Because he, he's kind of got that gunslinger mentality, but it, it ultimately led to you know, the 49ers giving up the last possession, Ben. Yeah, and Simon, I, I want to talk about that Vikings defense just a little bit because you mentioned they gave up a couple of big plays, especially you know that second McCaffrey touchdown, which was yep. almost – almost a gibby once they checked into the right play. But I'm I'm a huge believer that more NFL teams should be using this approach that Flores is using. Not all NFL teams, because they don't all work the same, but more of them should be using this aggressive, in-your-face approach. Because it does so many things. When you When you load the box, you are now putting more guys in the box to stop the running game, as well as get pressure on the quarterback. When you move them in and out – and you don't know who's coming, now you're giving the offensive line and the quarterback more things to think about, even if you don't blitz, which Flores does. And then when you actually are bringing these blitzes all the time, it just kind of wears down the quarterbacks who have to think about this. And it just adds a whole lot of pressure that they feel on every single play, even when you back out, which Flores did late in the game. He had three rushing and eight backing out on that second interception. I love it. I wish more teams would do it. Not all teams, but more teams should use this. I just really love that approach, especially for teams that maybe, you know, maybe they are a little bit undermanned on the defensive side of the football talent-wise. Yeah, the the blitzing is hilarious because they they showed the graphic at one point, I think in the second half, where the Vikings lead the league in blitz percentage, and they do it like 57% of the time, and teams two (laughs) through four are 37% of the time each. Um, which is just an insane discrepancy because because you could probably not find a 20% gap again until you go from like that fourth place team to like the 24th place team, something like that. So it's just crazy how much he does it. it was, uh, ironically, though, what was funny was I, I had shot a message over to Josh Lemassand of Mike on the Vikes and Bite Size Vikes where um, he had been tracking the pressures and, and stuff like that all season and how much they were not only how often they were blitzing, but how many people they were sending. Cause Flores also does a, an exceptionally high number of cover zero blitzes. So just like sending seven or eight guys to the quarterback <laughs> every play. Um, right. And it didn't feel like they were doing that as much in this one. So I think a blitz is technically categorized as six players rushing Um and depending on where you look, sometimes it's five, but whatever it is, I, I missed him because it was like that first half didn't feel like they did it a lot. And, and I, I met Sean that message waiting for a response. And right at that moment, Joe Buck says on air, well, 
on Brock Purdy's 14 dropbacks, the Vikings blitzed 10 times. And I was just like, oh, my God, like uh, he's desensitized <laughs> all of us to it so much that we don't even realize when it's happening. So you then almost wonder, yeah, is it a mind trick of, uh, oh, he only sent six that time. So I have a little bit of extra time. And then, boom, you know, you don't realize there's an extra defensive back that's out there in coverage, right? Because the Vikings really tightened up the passing lanes as well, uh, especially in the second half. You know, we have the two second half picks. Brandon Ayuk had a had a really good first half, five catches for 56 yards. Um, I think just on the five targets. I mean, he was getting open whenever he wanted shut out in the second half just nothing after that and you could feel that where it was all George Kittle or all Christian McCaffrey and normally you would think that'd be enough but George Kittle was uh getting banged up a little bit in this one Rona mentioned McCaffrey had the oblique he wasn't as effective on the ground no Trent Williams at left tackle so the ground game just overall wasn't as effective for for them with the with the Niners not having Debo Samuel and then finding a way to shut down Brandon Ayuk. I don't know how exactly they did it in the second half, but being able to use that pressure is the is the key, is the starting point. Because whether it's pass or run, if you're sending enough people at the offense, and especially a depleted one um, that needs its weapons the way the 49ers do, then yeah, you can create a real advantage and and create some turnover opportunities like they did in this one, Ben. Yeah, and, and that's another advantage. Whether it's the the Vikings blitzing with six, seven, or even eight, or it's the Eagles just getting pressure with their front four, if you as a secondary know that that clock that the quarterback has has been shortened, you now know that you can play way more aggressively on the receivers you're covering. You don't have to give cushions if you don't want to. You don't have to. You can sit on these routes because you know, hey, we might give up one or two big ones, but generally we've also got just as good a chance of getting the interceptions at certain moments of the game. And so it really allows the secondary to play much more aggressively, much more physical, which most of them love doing anyway. It's just like offensive linemen enjoying running the football. Secondary people love to play aggressively. They don't want to be told to sit back and be patient. They want to ball hawk. They want to play physical. And when you know that that clock is getting shortened for any reason, you, you get the chance to do that. And then you get back to Brock Purdy. Um, Purdy has been fantastic. But again, I'll, I'll say this. For any quarterback, anywhere, especially the younger guys, it's one thing to move the ball between the 20s. It's one thing to throw for a lot of yardage early in the season. It's one thing when the offensive line is protecting you and you have plenty of time to throw the football to receivers who are generally open and you know where they're going to be. And that's not just Purdy. That's several young quarterbacks. It's quite a different thing when defenses by midseason know how they want to play you. And when defenses have had a chance to, to adjust everything that offenses are throwing at them. And when the offensive line isn't protecting as well anymore. And when you don't have three and a half seconds to throw, now you have 2.75 seconds to throw. And instead of playing with a lead, a 10-point lead, you are now playing from behind. Everything changes when these things start to shift. And, and whether that's Purdy tonight or some other young quarterbacks that, that we won't talk about tonight, it all shifts. And that's when you start to see – I don't want to say failures, you start to see limitations for some of these guys. And you start to see the differences between them and a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or even a Jalen Hurts. That's when the differences show up. Simon? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think it was just last week I said with Purdy, he's found he had found the perfect balance of 
it might have been two weeks ago before the Browns lost. Um, being a Shanahan system quarterback, reading the plays, anticipating the throws, making the reads that Shanahan wants, but having just enough playmaking that it was a step above anything that Jimmy Garoppolo was doing for the last couple of seasons. And in yep. this game, through, you know, well, last week in the Browns, we had the combination of McCaffrey, Debo going out, the weather, and the Browns defense being one of the best defenses in the NFL. So you kind of chalk up the inefficiencies, right? He had the low completion percentage, only like a hundred some yards. Um, and then you have the turnovers in this one where, yeah, maybe feeling a little bit of that pressure of like, okay, I'm still losing a couple weapons. This isn't the best defense in the world, but they're blitzing the heck out of me. I have to move out of the pocket. Kind of like reprogrammed him back to factory settings a little bit where he's like, let me get out of the pocket and like do yeah. some stuff. Let's see what happens here. <laughs> he had a he had a scramble in the first quarter that caught my attention because he was kind of like bobbing and weaving around, like doing some fire feet right. stuff and like sticking the ball. <laughs> and I was like, all right, like that's good and all, but are you feeling it a little little too much here, Brock? Or you gotta pull that, you gotta pull that thing back in, man. Uh, get back to get back to 2.0. Get back to 2.0. And I think both those interceptions that he threw were him scrambling outside of the pocket. Um, or, or at least moving around yeah. inside the pocket a little bit. And just that almost like muscle memory of like, oh man, here we go. Like I'm getting into this again. And it's just like, yeah, that's not that's not what you do here, pal. You know, last year what I was saying was he gets into that mode and he can't, you know, quite do that stuff at the NFL level. So he, he has to get back to that sweet spot. Um, and maybe this is just going to be the learning process where maybe he's going to find, continue to push that ceiling of where he can play make and how much he can play make and against what defenses and all that stuff. It's a learning process, but yeah, there was definitely some of that where I think some of the pressure seeped in from last week. Still without the weapons, you, you get the feeling this guy still just in his second year. I mean, less than a full season's worth of starts needs his weapons around him to continue to be as effective as the as the 49ers need him to be, Ben. I, I agree. And, and again, I'm not trying to knock Purdy because I'm still comfortable totally. with him as the 49ers yeah. quarterback for the next season or two. But I I go back to my original point, you know, from the offseason. I don't think they're winning because of Purdy. I think they're winning with him as he fits into this system. And when he's getting rid of the ball at three seconds or less to guys on crossing routes or out routes or open guys at the 20-yard level, that's all fine. But when the game's starting to kind of fall apart on you and you've got Flores, you know, blitzing you with six or seven one play and then dropping eight back the next play, now all of a sudden it's not zeros and ones, as you like to say with Shanahan. Now it's now it's big boy football, and, you know, it's not always simple. And sometimes, listen, he, he did pretty good up until the fourth quarter, really. He was doing even good against the Blitz statistically, but still the numbers and the scoring were down, and you could see the two interceptions there at the end of the game, and then you stack that on top of the bad game they had last week with the Browns. You, you see the limitations. So I think they'll get back on track. I think overall they'll be fine. But still, you know, this isn't an MVP quarterback that we're looking at here, I don't think. So, Simon, anything else in the game? Oh, that's it for me, Ben. Good game for the Vikings. Right. Feel feel good about it. Oh, actually, I have a big picture question for you guys on the Vikings now po post this game. Um, There was talk about Kirk Cousins trade. There's been talk about Daniel Hunter trade. You know, we assume this team was going to be two and five here at this point. You know, the trade deadline is next week on Halloween. This team's now three and four. Do we feel any 
differently about that. I mean, you kind of look around at the standings in the NFC. You've got Dallas, who's going to probably lock up one of those wild card spots. You've got the Seahawks, who's probably going to lock up one of those wild card spots. But the Vikings are still very much in the mix for for a playoff berth here now at three and four. Do you keep this whole thing together and, and push one more time? Do you just kind of see, leave it as is, see what happens? You still move Hunter, but keep cut. Like what, what does this team do running? I'll throw to you first, you know, just big picture the rest of this season, the Vikings are now three and four. Do you think this is anything or, or not really? I think that they absolutely can do something here. Um, I don't think it's set in stone. I, I'm not, you know, sign sealed delivered, but I think that this team definitely has the ceiling to make some noise all the way through the playoffs potentially. Um, because I mean, we saw tonight they can take take down any of these top NFC teams on a good night. Um, between Kirk, I, I wouldn't move Kirk. Just between the money that you're tied into it, um, he, he's on a no-trade clause, so it would be tough to – it'd basically be to the Jets, right? And I don't think the Jets realistically would be interested in that between how much money they owe Rodgers and just the status of the team, just trying to keep everything sane there. Uh, but <clears throat> for Hunter – I, I think you can justify it, even if you are making, you know, some sort of playoff push, because yes, he is probably your best defender. Uh, there are a couple all right defenders, Harrison Smith over there. Um, but if you can get compensation in return, and if you have guys that you're comfortable with at that position group, you know, some younger guys, hopefully, that you plan on developing, uh, I, I say go for it truthfully, uh, because whenever you do have a mind like Flores, that kind of opens things up to where you, know, you can give up on the talent side of things just to uh, hopefully you know progress them down the road. Uh, ben, what, what are your thoughts? It's an interesting question Simon brings up. I'll hit it hard and fast. I don't think the Vikings are going to be letting these two guys go. Um, even if they were two and five, I'm not sure that they would. But I would actually like to see them let Hunter go because – They've already had the contract squabble, you know, this past off season bled into the regular season a little bit or close to it. And I don't necessarily think he's a, he's a long-term part of their future plans. So why not go ahead and trade him and get what you can for him? Um, I, I would actually love that. Now for the Kirk Cousins things, I wish they would just keep him to the off season and then let him go and draft either Drake May or Michael Penix Jr. in the draft next year, I think would be a lot of fun, especially Penix Jr. would be a lot of fun to just watch him with the Vikings here um, but again, you know, that's, we'll, we'll see, but it's a, it's a fascinating question, Simon. All right. That's the Vikings and 49ers game way better than we thought it was going to be. Uh, we gave the Vikings a chance to keep it close and they actually wind up winning the whole thing. So now for some news, uh, I'm going to rattle off a couple of things and Ronan, I'll give you first shot at it. Uh, Titans trade safety, Kevin Byard to the Eagles. Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray has a 21-day practice window open, and Cardinals safety Buda Baker is activated. Yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about Kyler and the Cardinals because, guys, this is one of those teams they've been they've been fighting. They're one of those feisty losing teams where you know pretty much the stat the odds are stacked against them week in and out, and somehow they at least sometimes cover. So, you know, winning winning is a different thing, but you know, sometimes they cover. And the grand scheme of things, uh, keeping it close in the NFL, it's respectable. But 
if they're able to do that, it makes you wonder what this team can do with Kyler Murray. And if he does, you know, come back within the next three weeks and he is what we saw Kyler Murray, you know, whenever he was at his best, this might be an interesting conversation because we've kind of chalked the Cardinals up to, you know, being a, a bottom three pick or a top three pick in this year's draft. And they might kind of accidentally screw themselves out of, you know, one of that, that range of quarterbacks uh, if that is, in fact, the route that they want to go. Um, you know, they have a pretty much a whole new regime since Kyler got drafted, so they don't necessarily have the emotional ties to him. He did just get paid, so that's that's an entire debacle. But Kyler Murray coming back, the eyebrow raising, Simon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was not anything that I expected, and you know, we we've been tracking the scuttlebutt, you know, all through the off season and preseason, where they're like, "Man, we love what Kyler's bringing in meetings, and from a leadership standpoint, and his rehab is great, and and all this stuff." And you know, the move for Josh Dobbs is a yeah, that's a perfect like short term bridge kind of move you make where you feel like you have something bigger, kind of like right there, and. You know, we'd been we we talked about this, that this could potentially happen. It'd be interesting. I mean, you got to think if, you know, so it's a 21 day practice window. It started in the middle of this week. Let's say they lose the next three games, though, and they're what one and eight. You know, you, you're going to bring the guy back who you're paying all this money to at one and eight. Probably not. What I had tweeted out when this news broke was keep in mind that this is just a practice window and what can what happens when this practice window is up these 21 days are up and uh the player hasn't been activated off of ir they go back to ir for the rest of the season that it just automatically shuts down the season for them um so this isn't necessarily a he's gonna come back it is interesting that it's happening this early i think but it is probably because like hey if if it's not gonna happen by what would that be week 10 like it wouldn't be worth it for the Cardinals. It wouldn't be worth it for Kyler. If they somehow win two games or, you know, even three games in this stretch, then yeah, maybe you get interested just to see if you can create some momentum for next year. But I'm still just going to go ahead and lean more likely than not. He ends up kind of working his way all the way through the 21 day window. It's some nice buzz. It feels good for trade purposes, maybe down the line. And then he ends up getting shut down for the rest of the season. Anyways, Ben. I, I can't wait to see what's going to happen here because I think I think what you guys are leaning into here is that the Cardinals franchise doesn't want him on the field this year. And that is basically, and they can't say this in public, of course, because they want that number one overall pick so they can w- probably get Caleb Williams. Or if for some reason they decide to keep Kyler Murray, you trade it for a million draft picks, right? <laughs> one or the other, you're sitting in the catbird seat. But, you know... If Kyler Murray comes back and they win two or three games, somebody else is going to get that first overall pick because we talked about it on last week's podcast. There's four or five other really bad teams. Three of them won this past weekend, by the way. But still, there's some other bad teams out there competing for this number one spot in the draft. But Kyler Murray wants to come back. That is obvious. He wants to come back as soon as possible. And I thought was interesting, Jonathan Gannon, the the Cardinals head coach, came out and said some things that really – really made it just more awkward than anything. He basically said, hey, we're not in any rush for Kyler to come back. We want him to be mentally and physically healthy and fully ready to go. So we're, we're just going to give him plenty of time to see if he can practice this way. And maybe it's going to take a lot of – he even said 
he's never played – we've never seen him play on this offense before. Is this this is going to be some new rocket science kind of a thing? And then he added – he said it'll be an organizational decision. Of course, Kyler Murray will have the bigger part of that. But it's going to be an organization decision. I'm like, yeah, you guys are kind of leaning into, hey, Kyler, we don't want – you know, go, sit, go home, Kyler. <laughs> so, listen, Kyler Murray wants to come back. And if he's ready to go physically and mentally, as <laughs> Jonathan Gannon says – it's not going to be pretty if they decide to shut him down for the season. Kyler is not the kind of guy who's going to quietly go sit back and, you know, and get ready for next year. That's not going to be pretty. So I, I can't wait to see uh, how that actually works out there. So. Yeah, absolutely. And to move on from, from a team, because let's be honest, I mean, they'll win at most five games if Kyler Murray comes back. Let's get to the news for a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and their their nice win against the Dolphins here in a few minutes. But the Eagles continue to just take good players from the Tennessee Titans. The, the memes on Twitter are out of control right now. Uh, somebody changed the Tennessee Titans Wikipedia page to calling them a AAA affiliate for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, somebody else tweeted out about how we're, we all spent Sunday night clowning the Titans for trading AJ Brown. Meanwhile, Howie Roseman's on the phone with them making another trade. That's just hilarious. Kevin Byard safety from the Tennessee Titans goes to the Philadelphia Eagles for safety. Terrell Edmonds, a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick. Now here's a couple interesting notes on the compensation for that. Terrell Edmonds, former Steelers safety ha- had a rough night on Sunday night football. Uh, not, not terrible, but rough, like not, not perfect. Clearly just hasn't really picked up everything that they do in, in Philadelphia's backfield there. But the connection between Tennessee and Pittsburgh for just like swapping players back and forth is real strong, which is of no surprise. Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin cut from the same cloth really. Um, so Terrell Edmonds heads there. The fifth and sixth round picks aren't even Philadelphia's picks because they don't even have their own fifth and sixth round picks for this draft. Um, the fifth round pick is uh, from Tampa, I think. I forget which trade that was from. And the sixth round pick was actually the Titans pick uh, originally, which was probably in the AJ Brown deal. So they're just sending uh, picks that aren't even their own and a safety that they've signed for like the minimum almost cut and and didn't even want to play for Kevin Bayard. I mean, this is a this is a real dude. This is a all pro level safety back there, and just adding to this Eagles defensive backfield, which has slowly been getting healthier again. We've seen them um, battle some injuries throughout the year. And with this offense seemingly look to be to have clicked, this front seven is looking strong. Kevin Byer going to the Eagles, Ben, it is a really, really big deal. And I think uh, kind of another one of those moves where it's like how he can't keep getting away with this. This team is trying to win another Super Bowl. What do you think, Ben? I love it for the Eagles, and I love Kevin Byard. We've watched him for several, several seasons on the Titans now. And granted, he hasn't played quite as well this past season and a season and a half as he did earlier in his career. But still, athletically, physically, intelligence-wise, he is phenomenal. He is all over the place. You could have made the argument two years ago that he was the best safety in football, ar- you know, arguably with a couple of other guys. Now, he's not quite that now, but he may return to that. Um, and especially with this Eagles defense, you know, you've got two good cornerbacks sitting there. We knew the safeties were not anywhere near as talented as the rest of the defense. We knew that. And listen, the Eagles knew that. That was no surprise to them. They were, they spent the first part of the season saying, hey, we'll kind of check it out. But they knew that. They they knew that the safety end was not as talented. You got the just ferocious defensive front line that the Eagles have. 
And so Bayard can just sit back there and do his thing. And he can do whatever he wants, whatever they ask him to do. And I think he's going to be phenomenal. And you mentioned that the Eagles didn't have to give up a whole lot to get him. And so it's just a great it's a great deal for the Eagles all the way around, Rona. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw last year what the addition of C.J. Gardner-Johnson did for that defense. Um, you know, paired with that pass rush and those corners, um, it, it was just beautiful the way that that defense was just kind of complete. Um, and this has very heavy signs of that right now, Simon. That's such a good call, Ronan. I mean, think of what Gardner-Johnson did in this defense last year, and now you're getting a, a – I don't want to no disrespect to CJ or anything, but an exponentially more talented player to to do a lot of the same things. Uh, Byard's probably not going to play in the nickel quite as much, um, but just in terms of being a, a true safety back there, and, and you could put him in the box a little bit, but just covering those guys up o- over the top is going to be tremendous for and for Byard a, a key aspect here as well. The Titans converted a bulk of his salary, I think seven of his eleven million dollars this year to a signing bonus so they paid that um so it'll just be basically essentially half of this four million dollar base salary left um under contract he is under contract for next year uh at a base salary of a little over nine and a half million but i don't think there's any dead money if they were to cut him and remember last year when they traded for james bradbury before the season started we were like oh one year rental and, and then we had the whole rigmarole of, oh, no, they're going to have to trade Darius Slay, and then they're going to re-sign Bradbury, and then they kept both guys. Don't be surprised if Bayard's around here for a few years, guys, and this is just like a, a really good defense for years to come, and then they'll do it all again next year. They'll, they'll draft somebody else from Georgia. They'll sign somebody else in free agency. They'll trade for somebody else, and uh, Philly is really leaning all the way into this championship window, Ben. Yeah, they are. Because, I mean, that, that window, it's not going to close, but it's it's going to get a whole lot harder to do now that Hertz is making the big money. You're just not going to – and listen, nobody's more imaginative with the cap than the Eagles are, but still you run out of options and room to mover as that contract gets bigger. They haven't had to deal with that in two, three, four years. So, But they're, they're doing it, and, you know, probably for the next couple of seasons, they're going to keep on doing it. I really think that the question for them will be that offensive line. Can they continue to replace those offensive linemen as the O-line gets older? We'll find out. But, you know, defense should be good. All right, uh, Bill Belichick, contract talk uh, from the offseason. Sneakily did it, which was normal for them, but not something anybody had talked about, and his 300th win. And the Jets traded wide receiver Michael Hardman back to the Chiefs. We're going to talk about that right after these commercials. What's up, everyone? I'm here to tell you about the Simon Short Podcast. Every Thursday, I deep dive topics related to the NFL, pro hoops, pop culture, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the Simon Short Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everybody. Brandon Tim here telling you all to listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues. Together, we will look at everything fantasy football, from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections. Listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a Fox Score Network podcast. We'll see you at the next episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back in. We appreciate you joining us, as always. Ron, I'll let you get started. Bill Belichick signed what appeared to be a pretty – Pretty wealthy contract extension in the offseason that nobody really talked about because they don't usually 
with the Patriots. And then he also collected his 300th win. And the Jets as well traded for wide receiver Michael Hardman. Yeah, so just, uh, to talk about Bill Belichick and the Patriots, um, now obviously it hasn't been an ideal season for them so far. They're two and five. Um, there's been a lot of speculation on, or well, at least there was uh, before this news came out on, you know, Belichick's stature with, you know, management. Was he going to be sticking around for a while? It seems like yeah, he is now that, you know, the contract is uh, leaked or, you know, finally hit the light of day and uh, Belichick getting the 300th win. Guys, he's probably I don't even know if it's probably he's the greatest coach of all time. Um, you know, you can say all you want about Brady, but those defenses, they they were kind of the uh, the unsung hero throughout that entire Patriots dynasty. And Belichick's mind, it goes all the way back to the Giants with Lawrence Taylor. Right. Um, he's he's been around some very, very, very influential uh, players throughout NFL history. And he's the greatest mind the game has probably ever seen. So monumental win, 300th win, um, lots of Super Bowls just all around. Kudos to Bill Belichick. And then, you know, that 300th win coming against the Bills, who were the favorite, and uh, going out there and just kind of shutting everybody up for uh, the time being. Got to give Belichick his credit, Simon. Yeah, man. I mean, what what a what a personal weekend for Belichick. What a professional accomplishment weekend, and what a tremendous PR weekend for Bill Belichick. I mean, let's be honest. The, this contract thing, right? It's probably like a one year extension every year that they do. And you know, Belichick was hearing all the rumors, and he just called up Rappaport and was like, "Hey, and can you just remind everybody that?" Um, <laughs> I get an extra $25 million every year from the Patriots. Thanks. And that, and that was it, you know, cause Rapport tweeted, I think at like 11 AM Eastern time on Sunday, I'll have some Patriots news for added context to today's game in the next hour. And, and he dropped that. And it's just like, yes, it's a large amount of money. Cause Belichick probably gets the most money of any head coach in the NFL. And yeah, he got a new contract because they probably in the off season gave him his 2024 contract um but yeah great pr move because you do that and then you follow it up with a win and, and that's probably why belichick waited to to have him drop that because he was just like i know what i'm doing to josh allen this year and, and so then he just like completely ripped him apart right um uh the, the game itself uh i haven't watched this one yet but it feels like it's going to be a classic just belichickian defense against josh allen who's already had his brain broken a couple times this season um and, you know, just like, yeah, that like uh, this is why we shouldn't overreact like week to week to things. Right. Because um, the NFL already has a small sample size and we need to collect enough data to really kind of figure out how we feel about things overall. Now, I'm saying that as the guy who last week said they're going to have the first overall pick. But guess what? They still could. And that doesn't mean Belichick's going anywhere, Ben. It's going to be difficult for Kraft to let go of Belichick, even if he wanted to. And I'm not sure that he wants to. I mean, I, I'm really not. But even if he wanted to, it's it's really difficult to let go of the all-time best coach you've ever had at your franchise. I mean, the guy who's collected all the Super Bowl trophies that your franchise has ever had, 
really difficult to just send him on his way. It would, it would almost have to be that mutual agreement kind of a thing where Belichick's already feeling like, hey, you know, I, I think I'm kind of done. And I don't think he's done yet. I think he still would like to get to do this for, you know, two, three, four, five more seasons. I don't know what he's feeling, but I, it's going to be difficult to do. Not impossible, but that's always really difficult. I mean, years and years ago in the 80s when uh, – when, uh, uh, Jones, uh, Jones with the Cowboys let go of uh, Tom Landry. Uh, Jones was just coming in fresh, man. He was coming in hot, and and Landry hadn't been winning for quite a while, really, anything significant. So that was hard, but it was more, it was easier to do because of how bad the Cowboys were and how long it had been since they'd won anything, and because Jones was the new guy in town. He was able to be the bad guy, set everything up. Kraft and Belichick have been close for a long time now. I mean, a very long time. And Kraft was part of the original thing that brought Belichick in in the first place. So going to be more difficult for them to part ways, but not impossible. All right. Um, I think that's it on the new side of things. Let's do some injuries. Simon, I'll let you run, uh, hit whatever you want here. Chiefs linebacker Nick Bolton, dislocated wrist. Looks like six to eight weeks is the reports we're getting. Not sure yet. Uh, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson left the game Sunday again with a head and shoulder injury. Steelers tied in Pat Fryermuth to the IR. And Seahawks edge, I apologize, I'll butcher the name, Uchenna Nwosu Peck out for season. Great job. No, that was it. You, you crushed right it. Right on the money. Um, <laughs> uh, let, I'll hit two of these here. Uh, Steelers tight end Pratt Farmuth. He's been hurt for a while, um, but it's not a good sign. He, he re-aggravated this hamstring injury that has been keeping him out the last couple of weeks, and, and they ended up putting him on IR on Saturday um so that's tough that's a guy who who's in his third year he's trying to get a contract um extension talks done and, and just having obviously a tough go he's only played in i think three games this season so far and chiefs linebacker nick bolton the dislocated wrist i mean he was just getting back man and you could feel his impact and i, I think he's played two games since he came back uh, the, this last one he was in um in, in their big win and, and then the broncos game last week that we talked about He's a huge part of this defense, and if they're going to, you know, we talked about it two weeks ago, if if they're going to continue to be the favorites in the NFL or the favorites in the AFC for, for another championship run, they do need him. Now, six to eight weeks, that uh, rough math in my head should be about end of season to playoff time, you would hope. Um, hopefully he can uh, beat that timetable a little bit. Um, but that's it's so tough to see when, when a player just came back from injury and was just getting back into his groove, and especially one as fun to watch as Nick Bolton. Um, so that's a tough one for the Chiefs, Ben. Yeah, Chris. So Chris Jones up the middle, creating all the pass rush for Kansas City, plus a really good linebacking core with Bolton and Gay and uh, Tranquil being the addition, plus a, a secondary led by McDuffie. That's really been quite the defense this year. But you're right, if Bolton's not in there consistently, especially against the tough teams, and they've got tough teams coming up just in the regular season, not to mention the playoffs. If Bolton can't be in there, the defense changes. It just changes everything because he's been a playmaker ever since he hit the field as a rookie, and you saw it in last year's Super Bowl. You saw him doing some pretty special things. He's not an all-pro level, but still, he's, he's very good. Sideline to sideline, very smart player. He's not just making tackles and cleaning up messes. He is making plays, and that's a huge difference. And if he's not in there, the domino effect on the defense, it's going to drag it down a little bit. There's no question about it. It's not going to shut it down or make it bad, but still, it's going to drag it, and you see it against the better teams. So 
they'll, they'll be wanting him back as quickly as he can get back. Ronan, uh, what you want to cover off the injury list, man? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start off with the uh, Ucheno Nuosu pec injury. Uh, he's out for the season. That's going to be a tough blow for this young Seahawks defense. Um, now, what can we expect, you know, to fill Nuosu's shoes? Uh, Boye Mafe, who was a rookie last season, is expected to probably take a larger role, as is Derek Hall, the rookie. Uh, the pair, they're, they're both listed uh, as outside linebackers, so should be stepping in, uh, getting higher snap counts. It's kind of to be determined. Both of them have had uh, spurs uh, sporadically, right? So this Seahawks defense is going to be one to watch because they don't necessarily have, uh, I don't know, maybe notable names other than your Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner's. And then obviously Tariq Wool, and so maybe they do. Maybe I'm just a, a hater because I'm in the I'm an NFC West fan. Uh, but as far as this pass rush goes, it's young, uh, but it's also hungry. So it's going to be fun to see how they kind of develop over the course of this season. Because I believe the Seahawks are four and two, and uh, nobody's really talking about them right now. Uh, to continue on about Deshaun Watson, that's been a whole ordeal, guys. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, at least to us, because there hasn't been a whole lot of information released. Simon, you might be able to uh, steer us in the right direction there. But he went out again this Sunday uh, for P.J. Walker. He, I believe, took a hit and it was a head injury. Simon, can you vouch so, for that? Yeah, they they assessed him for a concussion. He came out. He put he had like either five snaps or five pass attempts, something like that in this one. Um a pick too, he, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Through I think two picks. I, th- I think five pass attempts, two picks in this one. Um he gets evaluated for a concussion, took a big hit. Then they give him his helmet back. So they they basically say it's not a concussion, but then Stefanski doesn't put him back in. And it's it's related to the shoulder injury. I don't think they officially said that, but Stefanski said that after the game, and, and Watson confirmed this, that Stefanski decided to not put Watson back in the game because he didn't want him to take any more hits, which I don't know, man. We talked about how funny of a situation this was last week because – uh, and now it kind of just feels more like maybe they just actually think they're better off with PJ Walker than Deshaun Watson playing quarterback right now. Because if you're if your guy is cleared to play from a concussion standpoint, from your medical staff shoulder standpoint, for Watson to decide he can play with his shoulder last week, uh, or, or this week after last week when he held himself out, and then you're like, mm, I just don't want you to get hit anymore, buddy. You pay that man two hundred plus million dollars guaranteed to go play quarterback, play some football, and that that you're you're gonna get hit. I'm all about player safety and everything, but you know, my gosh, you you can't keep him in bubble wrap until you're done paying the contract. So if straight up they're just like, and maybe there's, I I think the weirdness aspect of this is like, is the shoulder injury way worse than they initially diagnosed, and, and we just don't know that, and that's what they're kind of messing up and trying to backtrack on. Um, but it's a it's a tough look, yeah. So that's that's how that kind of all broke down on Sunday, Ronan. Yeah, I it's going to be so much fun to watch how this unfolds down the line this season because you know th- there was so much controversy and we don't have to dive into it about the whole trade to Cleveland. 
and you know, the money that went into it. And then just to see him basically be a glorified motivational speaker, an expensive one at that uh, so far, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, with Nick Chubb out, a lot of that pressure was going to be on Deshaun Watson, right? With Chubb out, you know, the offensive game plan gets tweaked a little bit. Now, obviously, they still can run the football. They have a good offensive line. But, you know, without your star running back, you got to expect the quarterback to shoulder it a little bit more. And after he just got paid hundreds of millions of dollars to do so, and then he gets benched a couple of times, you know, to be fair, he he has been injured. And like you said, it could be worse because Cleveland is not necessarily notorious for being, you know, the up to par uh, medical staff, as you know we've kind of heard over the years. So, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a fun one, Ben. Don't you just know Browns fans are feeling a lot like Jets fans is that if we catch a break, it's not going to last long. It's all going to disappear, and we are going to be totally screwed no matter what. Here we've actually got a high-caliber quarterback. He's After all the legal issues, he's actually here, and we can't get him on the field, and now we're not sure if the coaching staff wants him on the field, and we don't know what the injury is. It's, it's messy right now, and I'm sure Browns fans are just holding their breath, waiting for the next time that they're all going to get screwed just like the Jets. One thing I want to go back to for the Seattle Seahawks, I just really want them to plug Devin, Devin Witherspoon, the rookie, in at edge and just really take this positionless defense mindset to a whole new thing and just let him run off the edge and go after quarterbacks. He's got the physicality, the mindset, the quickness. Uh, nothing would make me happier than to watch Witherspoon going after quarterbacks every week, even as an undersized defensive back. It would just thrill me to death. All right. Um the Eagles beat the Dolphins 31-17, to and uh, Simon, go ahead and walk us through the game, man. Yeah, I mean, the the first thing that stands out is just Hurts and the offense are back, man. I mean, this offense was clicking on all cylinders. The run game has been there all season. We've talked about that multiple times on, on the pod already, but Hurts looked really good in this one. I mean, there, there was one play in particular, fourth and three, I think in the second quarter, um, where he took pressure, which last time we talked about the Eagles, I think we talked about how poor Hertz has been under pressure this season and in his career. And he evades the pressure. He moves within the pocket, gets outside of the pocket, pressure still on him and throws a dot to, to AJ Brown for what ended up being ruled, not a touchdown, but down at the like one inch line. And then we get the, we get the tush push. So I just saw a lot of good, playmaking from Hertz, a lot of good deep shots, a lot of throws with anticipation, throws to the outside. Dallas Goddard is getting back involved in things with, with the tight end screens. I think overall the team should be worried because this defense, uh, the, I, we already mentioned the front has been playing really well. They had Kevin Byard. The run game has still been solid. And and it looks like Hertz in this passing game are getting back under Back under control, Ronan. What, what were your thoughts from the uh, game, just kind of as a whole, from a you know twenty thousand foot view? Simon, if we're viewing it from a twenty thousand foot view, and I hate to be that guy, um, the the officiating definitely stood out. Um, now, I, I don't think it necessarily uh, altered. I, I it altered the game, but I, I don't think it decided the game. I, Miami had multiple opportunities to go out there. And, uh, you know, win the game or at least, you know, put points on the board. But 
the amount of missed calls uh, um, uh, on Sunday Night Football was pretty astounding. Um, so much so that Mike McDaniel legitimately went to Twitter after the game and added NFL officiating with not not only just like instances he he put up videos and pictures and it's a thread. There were I, I believe like six or seven tweets, something in that range of him just basically tearing into NFL officiating. And I believe he said Roger De- Roger Goodell, I'm doing this pro bono. Um, so it definitely struck a nerve with uh, Mike Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, and, and rightfully so, truthfully, because going down the list, I, I don't believe a single penalty was called on the Eagles all game long. Is that true? Mm-hmm. That that okay. It, it is a game of football. Penalties happen from both sides, from junior high all the way up to the professional level. Okay, that there's. Just there's no way a a team plays an entire clean game, right? It's virtually impossible. Uh, You got to be like basically coached by like 15 Bill Belichick's. So, and officiating this past week overall was a little bit murky, and we might get into that whenever uh, we get into some more stuff later. But just that 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 was definitely a, a letdown for the spectators because you don't want to have a Sunday night football matchup between two great teams boil down to, uh, well, the refs didn't call any, any flags or any, anything on one team. Right. So sorry to bring the officiating thing up. I know it's an annoying thing, but whenever it's that noticeable and it takes over the entire NFL world, uh, pretty much that night. It, it should be talked about, unfortunately, Ben. Wildly frustrating night for the Dolphins. You could tell body language that they really, really wanted to win this game in particular. You could just see, from, especially from the defensive guys, but you could see it all the way across the board all night, that they really wanted to pull out a good game here against the Eagles. And really, I think these two teams, when healthy, are pretty evenly matched. I don't think there's a huge difference between these two teams. But I do think this is a horrible matchup for the Dolphins because you have a bad Dolphins offensive line, which it is right now. It's bad at pass protection, going up against maybe the best defensive front line in football. And they just did not have enough time to throw the entire night. All night long, the Eagles defense was able to consistently get into his face. And and that's a huge difference. You know, it's one thing when you have a mediocre offensive line and a quick trigger to it, and he's got you know 2.75 to 3.2 seconds to throw the football. That's just barely enough for him to get these passes off. But against the Eagles, you're really looking at two and a half seconds, 2.2 seconds, 1.8 seconds. It's just not enough. And so that was a really rough night for the Dolphins because they just didn't have enough time to run their normal offense the way they would. And so You know, I've been after them for two seasons to upgrade the offensive line. They're saying we don't need to because we're fast and we can get rid of the ball quick enough. And usually that is true, but not when Taron Armstead is out and not when you're going up against the Eagles defensive front line. It's just that's where the apex crosses over and you just don't have enough time. So they'll be fine for most most of these regular season games, but just a really bad matchup here for the Dolphins, all things considered. Simon? Let's see. I'm trying to go back through the game book real quick and and find what all these Miami 
penalties were because they definitely felt like they were of a piece with each other. Like there was a constant theme. Um, there was multiple offsides on the tush pushes, right? There, there was a lot of those, which, which was funny. You, you had the, you had the one where the, uh, and why wasn't this? Why isn't this counting the stats? The one where they they thought Jason Kelsey was Landon Dickerson, and he was oh, those were offsetting. That's why. Um. Anyways, I'm working through all this stuff in my head right now. But uh, <laughs> so yes, the the penalties when when it's outweighed ten to zero in, in terms of total called. That that definitely stands out. I'm going to go the other way. And again, this, this is me saying I don't remember what all the penalties were on Miami. So there there could be a real discrepancy. And if someone asks me on Twitter with what they were, I, I probably won't have too much of an argument. Mike McDaniel, but, right? Rona, by the way, man, uh, uh, that was a parody account. That's oh, McDaniel's no. Twitter. They got you. They got yeah, you. But got still, me. I mean, the, the, me. the, the point still stands. The blue like, check some, board, somebody still... Elon, fix it. <laughs> but the point still stands that if somebody could actually – take the time to do that 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 it is that it is like it is tough um because yeah there were there were definitely calls that were missed i am always of the belief that all that stuff washes out at the end and when when things are completely outweighed one side versus the other and the correlating factor that i see between these two teams is that philadelphia is just the the physically tougher team right and the physically more dominant team and and, you know let's take it to basketball right if you're a team that is physically dominant you're always going to the basket you're going to get to the free throw line a bunch and you're playing a team that only shoots threes they're not going to go to the free throw line as much so you might see an nba college wnba game where it's like man this team had 20 free throw attempts and this team had four well the team that had four took 23s and no layups. And it, that's kind of how I see a lot of what we saw here between Philadelphia and Miami because Miami just looked outmatched physically in a, in a bunch of ways. So when that happens, what do you do? You try and get a, a, as low and as close to that line of scrimmage as possible on the tush push. You, you are a little bit more physical re- with receivers at the catch point because you're trying to make up ground. I mean, Cater Co., who I don't know how many – penalties he actually i mean eli apples on this dolphins team you know he's good for three penalties a game on the outside um so so that's one thing i'm i i felt like i noticed with the game um and but to ben and to your point of these two teams being you know when all else is equal like pretty even yeah teron armstead was out and, and that's tough um Philly is missing one offensive lineman and Cam Jurgens, but is is more healthy. So I'll I'll definitely give you that. I think I see Miami as a top of tier two team, but not quite at this Philly KC level, right? Because they they lose the game to Buffalo pretty significantly. They only have ten offensive points uh, here in this game against Philadelphia, uh, and that doesn't mean by the time the playoffs are rolling around, they're not there. But right now, I just don't think they're in that like true, true elite top tier group because five and two, but the two losses are against the really good teams. The I think the five wins are mostly against, you know, middling to below average teams. Um, and, and we'll dive into it because the Dolphins certainly did a ton of impressive stuff in this one. We'll, we'll continue to dive in. But at first glance here, I just felt like they were they were outmatched, Ben. Hey, listen, in terms of, being able to do damage in the playoffs long-term, I will grant you that the Eagles have the better ceiling. But in terms of regular season, 
I absolutely think the Dolphins could hang out with the Eagles in, in any game, any matchup, anywhere. But Teron Armstead's got to be on the field because without Armstead, statistically, we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. The Dolphins' offense is significantly lower without Armstead in there because that offensive line is just so bad. They, they really have not done enough to, to adjust to it. And again, we're talking half-second differences here. So with Armstead in there, they're able to run the ball better than they did. You know, I had 12 carries, 45 yards, 3.8 per. You know, they didn't have A-chan in there as well. He's, he's got that ability to, to break the big ones, and that can really break your back if you're up against an Eagles defense. And then all of a sudden, with those two things are going, instead of sitting at two and a half seconds, you're back up 3.2 seconds. And that is fast enough. That is enough time for Tua to then get off his quick dart. So I, I actually think the Dolphins can score a lot of points against this Eagles defense if they had Armstead in the building, I, I especially in a regular season matchup. Now, again, Eagles, I do think, are better built to do playoff damage because they, they just seem better balanced all the way around. But regular season matchup, Armstead in there, there's no question. Well, we saw it. You know, this game was actually pretty close for large parts of the night. It really turned into a kind of a, a push there at the end with the Eagles pulling away pretty clearly. But for most of the night, this was relatively close. So I, I, I like the Dolphins here in regular season matchups against anybody, really, Eagles included. But Armstead's got to be in there. Ron? I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I think Armstead is a huge factor for that Dolphins offense. I think with him in there, um, the sky is just about the limit. And I think with him in there, uh, to me, Simon, they are in that kind of tier one uh, realm. But I, I, I see what you're saying, especially after uh, the matchup against Philly. It does kind of you, – you can see the gap a little bit. And I, I think one of the – this isn't some revelation, but when comparing the two teams, I mean, the two defenses are just uh, – the Philly wins in just about every position, you know, comparison. So um, offensively, Miami is is like that. But defensively, I think they've got to work through a few things. Um, and then, you know what, with Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard back there, that that might just be the fix that they need, Simon. I can't wait to see Jalen Ramsey in this defense, man, because the way – and you could just see it even if it's not yielding the results yet. And, again, it is against most teams. It just wasn't against Philadelphia this night. But you can just see Ramsey plugging in to this defense and just being that, like, controlled chaos of just running around. Uh, the, this Vic Fangio defense is – so much post-snap rotation and just being physical and fast and making plays. And, oh, man, I can't wait to freaking see Jalen Ramsey in this. We saw, again, Eli Apple and and uh, uh, Cater Kohu are your outside corners right now for Miami. That's going to be Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey in about in about two, three weeks, man. And I just – I cannot wait. It's going to be so much fun. Um, let's see. What else did I have here? De- defensively – um, you know, I still thought Miami, like their their front line is still showing good stuff. And I think there were times where they got the best of the Philly front line. Like I said, they were able to get pressure on Hertz a couple times. So once those two guys plug in back there, I think it'll look a lot better on that side of the ball for them too, Ben. Yeah, and I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but I'll do it one last time for tonight because I've mentioned it throughout the regular season so far. The Eagles still are a little sloppy in pass protection. They're not bad. They're good, but they're still sloppy compared to the Eagles' offensive line that we are so used to seeing. It's just not as crisp. 
We saw it in the Dolphins game, but we've seen it several times this year where Hertz just doesn't have as much time as he had last year to throw the football. Now, maybe they clean that up. Maybe that all just evaporates because the Eagles are the Eagles and they have the best offensive line in football. But so far throughout the season, we've we've still seen that kind of lingering for the Eagles' offensive line. I'd love to see them get that better as they start to go through this pretty significant group of games they're going through in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, we'll see if they get that. All right. Anybody else with anything on this game? Um, you guys did a great job mentioning Armstead being out and the Dolphins' lack of depth on the offensive line. I just want to say, once again, vindication. A, a little late. I think last week or two weeks ago, I said maybe the Dolphins don't need a good offensive line. Well, guess what? When you get down, when you get down this far, um, Liam Meikenberg at center and, and just, uh, Lamb and Cotton and and a bunch of dudes that I don't know. Um, it, it, it runs out eventually. So vindication, we win more offensive yeah, line. It, <laughs> it does. They should listen to us and draft a little bit more offensive line or play another free agent offensive lineman to come in. Don Risner was out there for weeks. He just had a good game <laughs> for Minnesota in his first start. They signed him like three weeks ago and he was playing tonight and, and played well. I don't get it. I don't get it. That's a great point. And it, it matters when you're up against good teams. You can pull it off against some of the average teams, but the good teams, it does matter. All right. Uh, Thursday night football. Jaguars beat the Saints 31 to 24. Ronan, walk us through it. Yeah, Ben. So uh, Trevor Lawrence had himself a nice, nice game. It wasn't necessarily a, uh, I don't know, a stat padding, you know, 400 yard game, but he has shown a lot. Uh, in the past year and a half, um, he, he's shown the signs of what we were expecting him to be coming out of Clemson, right? Uh, tonight, or tonight, Thursday night, 20 for 29, 204 yards, a touchdown. Uh, he did not take a sack. But that Jacksonville running game, truthfully, uh, was kind of what got them where they needed to be. 26 attempts in total for 113 yards and two touchdowns, both of which coming from Travis Etienne. Uh, going into the season, Tank Bigsby was kind of one of those fantasy names. Hey, he, he might be one of the, what, what is it, a handcuff? Am I mm. using that right, the handcuff? Mm. Uh, but Travis Etienne has kind of emerged as that number one running back. I, I don't know if I'd go as far to say, as to say a workhorse back, uh, but he's definitely been in the mix so far for this Jacksonville offense. Uh, and then Christian Kirk. Leading receiver, I don't. I'm a owner of Calvin Ridley in fantasy, so I'm a little bit jaded by this. But six receptions for 90 yards and a touchdown. He had himself a game, and he is still that kind of premier. Would 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 we say he's a premier target in the league, guys? Maybe what's like the level below premier? Like good. Okay, is good? Is that like the threshold? Good to premier? There's got to be something in between there, right? Good, good plus, uh, good plus, real good. Good, good. Nice. Okay, real good. Yeah, nice I'll, I'll just I'll roll with real good. Uh, Christian Kirk is real good, Ben. Christian Kirk is real good. Simon, <laughs> <laughs> so thoughts on the Jaguars and Saints, man. Um, Jags are just starting to look explosive offensively. You know, Ron mentioned ETN. Just anytime Jacksonville ran to the right side, in particular, I felt like it, it was going for six or seven plus yards. Brandon Sheriff and Anton Harrison, the rookie right tackle 
over there together just are getting out in space. They're athletic. They're just popping holes quick, and Etienne can get through them even faster. And, and it's just a great little combination of things going on over there. Cam Robinson being back on the left side at left tackle is great from a pass pro standpoint, but it feels like whenever Etienne was running over to the right side, uh, that was when good stuff was happening. I love the way they use Tank Bigsby as a gadget player. Um, Miami did this a couple times too, and and a little more uh, with a little more style. But I love the misdirection runs that Jacksonville does, where Etienne's going left and and Bigsby kind of comes back around on the right side for for a misdirection handoff. Um, we saw Tua do that great behind the back toss uh, to Tyreek Hill on, on one Sunday night. Um, but then Christian Kirk, like like Rona was saying, that and really there were two touchdowns that Jacksonville had like this. Etienne had a, had a 17 yard uh, run in the second quarter. I believe that went for a touchdown and Kirk obviously had um, what ended up being the game winning touchdown on that 44 yard catch and run um, where it was just like, you assumed they were going to get tackled like in eight or nine yards within where they got the ball from. And they just, they just didn't like no one could just get a hand. It, it, and it makes you wonder a little bit about the Saints defense, but we've seen six consistent weeks of good Saints defenses. So I don't think it's that. I think these guys are just starting to find their stride and find their rhythm. Um, and Ronan, you know, you mentioned Calvin Ridley. What I found interesting was the drive after the Christian Kirk touchdown or the one right before, uh, maybe the one right before um, the Jags ended up punting, but they were trying to obviously like, salt the game away, maybe go up and get another score. All three downs, they went to Ridley. They went to him on an end around. They went to him on a on a stop route, on a back shoulder on the sideline, and then they went to him on a go ball. There's still, there's still fate there. They're still getting that rhythm together with him, and I think that's going to be huge for his confidence. It's going to be huge for his rapport with Lawrence. So if, if we're seeing Kirk and ETN be really effective, Evan Ingram's continuing to be effective. This team doesn't even have Zay Jones back yet. Um, and we're seeing Trevor Lawrence, although not putting up gaudy numbers, like Ronan said, but just start to show, like, make all the throws, be efficient. Um, once this team gets Calvin Ridley going, they're, they're already trending in the right direction, Ben, and they have a little bit of time off now before their next game. Um, the, the Jacksonville offense is looking, is looking really good. Like we expected. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the Jaguars hats off to the coaching staff, you know, our perspective on the Jaguars, I think no matter who's watching them anywhere, you just start to have a lot more confidence in what they're about to do because, you know, they got a little bit slow out of the gate this season, but here they are, they're at five and two and you feel like there's really no limit to what they can do this year. Um, we talked about, I talked about during the off season that, Hey, you know, they may, take half a step back this season, or they might, you know, slow down a little bit because they got some cap issues and the secondary is a bit of an issue and the offensive line still a work in progress. But I mean, here they are five and two. I don't think, I don't think I ever felt like they were going to lose that game, even though the saints came roaring back and tied it up and the crowd was going crazy. You just kind of felt like the Jaguars were the team that were going to make the play and the saints were the team that was going to find a way to, to not make a play. And I think that's the way a lot of us feel about the Jaguars right now. Cause the secondary, even though that's not an uber-talented secondary, they're playing aggressive, downhill, tight. They're being taught well, kind of like the Rams secondary, which, again, I don't think is uber-talented, but they're being taught well, and they're playing physical, and they're playing with confidence, and they're they're being put in roles where they can succeed. 
And so I really like what the Jaguars are doing. They look like they're getting ready to take off and soar. They don't look like they're getting ready to slow down. So, you know, and then you look at the Saints and you feel like, well, got a pretty easy schedule going here, but they just can't seem to get out of their own way. The offense just keeps kind of choking it off and the defense is, is good, but it's not quite shut everything down kind of good and win all the games. It's Saints just keep finding ways to lose games here. And so it's interesting that you feel the two different ways about these teams, but it does feel like the Jaguars are about ready to take off. Running. Absolutely, Ben. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the Saints' offensive approach to Thursday night uh, because Derek Carr, 55 pass attempts for 301 yards, uh, one touchdown, one pick. He had a QBR of 37 and a half, which is just not necessarily ideal. Uh, and then also Alvin Kamara for, you know, 29 touches, right? He missed first portion of the season. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, should they have maybe approached Thursday night differently? And uh, did you think that the incorporation of Kamara was forced? Or do you think that that was a viable game plan that if they had strayed away from, my, it, the game might not have been as close? I hated what the Saints did on offense for about three and a half quarters of, of this game. Um, and I self-admittedly am a bit of a Derek Carr truther, so take that with a grain of salt. But when you let Carr drop back, read out a full progression, and attack, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get your interceptions, right? I'm I'm not. Hey, he's a top ten guy, but he can go make plays. He can go do things. Uh, they the, the the Saints were just trying to dink and dunk this entire game. And when you know that second half started to work for Kamara a little bit, but we saw plenty of instances where Kamara was not effective in that role. We saw a couple drops. We saw a couple missed hot read kind of things from Kamara in this one. Um, we. Uh, we, we saw miscommunication with Chris Olave on the outside on some of these. For some reason, the short game just isn't working yet with Derek Carr. And it, it, seven weeks into the season and through the whole preseason and everything, he only – I don't even think he missed a week with that shoulder injury, which may be part of the issue. But you could tell the frustration that he was having with, why are we just doing this? I thought they should have just been running the ball more. If you want Kamara to be that involved, uh, take – 20 of those i mean he had 20 21 targets through the air take half of those and let him run the ball more because i thought when they were actually letting him run between the tackles that was when the whole offense was being the most effective and then you take the last two drives where they really needed to push the ball down the field quick and they were letting car work the middle of the field intermediate and deep and then to the outside that was actually working. That was how they got 15 points in the fourth quarters because they're letting him actually read a defense and try to push the ball a little bit. Um, I would like to see them do that more. Yeah, take away 10 to 15 pass attempts, convert another 10 to 15 shallow pass attempts to deep balls uh, and more intermediate balls. Let him utilize the athleticism and skill of Michael Thomas and Chris Olave. And, you know, what happened to Rashid Shahid? Like, what happened to those four or five deep shots from the first two, three weeks of the season? So, uh, Ronan, that was a great question by you because I absolutely hated what the Saints did on offense for the most part. What What about you, Ben? How would you feel about it? I didn't hate it, but I will say I wish they had ran the football more. I do think that's a great way to get Carr kind of off the hook, run some play action. 
That opens up all that intermediate stuff. And then you know he can hit the deep balls, especially to Chris Alave. And you mentioned Rashid Shahid. He's a big play waiting to happen every single time as well. But uh, So I, I agree with what you guys are putting out there. We saw it there in the fourth quarter when Carr was going one, two, three seconds, boom, out, boom, out. He's going through his progressions, right? He's getting these quicker reads, but ball's out in three seconds. He's not hanging on to it for four or five seconds. He's not really mobile enough to be doing that anyway. But, you know, when he's hanging on the ball like that, it's not good. So run the ball more, get more play action, get the intermediate routes going, and then you have you should have plenty of space to throw the football to Alave and and Shahid downfield. And we know that Carr is capable of hitting a fair amount of those deep throws. He's got the arm, and he's got two receivers to get it to. So um, I'm generally, even though I didn't think of it at the time, I'm generally agreeing with what you guys are putting out there because Saints offense hasn't been very good this year. It's It's been very, very, very strangled, I think is a good way to put it. All right, anybody else with anything on this game? I will say I did like their aggressiveness on fourth down. So they have some confidence in their <laughs> offense. They went four of six on fourth down on this one. I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, agreed. And, and again, it's all about situation. But those situations that they went for, I liked it. I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, don't be sitting back there. Okay, uh, that's it for the games for this week. Um, we've got some burning questions. We've For that, we've got an actual special event here tonight. Uh, Simon, I'll let you segue us into our special event of the evening. All right, everybody. So uh, if you were checking your Twitter accounts this week, Ronan and I had a little bet for the Steelers-Rams game um, where the loser of the game had to write and recite an original poem on the podcast tonight. So... As everyone knows, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the L.A. Rams uh, 24-17, I think, some, something along those lines. So um, without further ado, oh no, here's an original poem written by Ronan Summers. Ronan, take it away. Oh, yet again, Matt Canada's job saved. For the route to win, the referees paved. Picket to Pickens. A connection on the rise. But Pickett didn't get the first. Let's be real, guys. Brett Maher missed kick after kick to bury the Rams deep. Between special teams miracles, a Watt interception, and referee mishaps, Steelers fans can sleep. (laughs) Snaps. Snaps. Wow. Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, Ronan, you know, you're talking a lot about the refs, and I kind of got that sense <laughs> on Twitter yesterday and when we talked about Eagles. Dolphins. Absolutely. I, I felt like that's where that's the only reason you brought up the refs. I wasn't going to say Absolutely. that. Um, Absolutely. Did you talk enough about, you know, Matt Stafford uh, throwing the interception? Oh, it was Tom McVay I, burning I, all I of his second half timeouts. I mentioned, I mentioned the the T.J. Watt Cooper pick. Cup, dropping the ball twice. Hey, only only know, two catches on the day. I, I can't I can't go for a 15-line poem here. Uh, at that point, <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, go But you needed three lines for, for the referees. Hey, there was just the one. Hey, you know, two, whatever. He didn't get the first, though. He didn't well, get anyways. the first. And, you know, I've got a Steelers buddy who FaceTimed me right after it happened, and he said, I didn't want to win like this. So there is a respectable way to take the win, and Simon did not take it. 
<laughs> so I have to play, you know, the opposite side of it and blame the refs entirely. So, but you know what? No, Matthew Stafford threw a pick to TJ Watt. So, and from then on out, it was pretty much chalked, truthfully. Um, yeah. I that, do want to look into this because there has been a lot of discourse post the discourse of the Kenny Pickett first down because, yes, he didn't. I, he didn't get the first down. I know that. But you know what I would say? <laughs> My head coach better still have a timeout when it comes to the last two minutes of a one-position sure. game Absolutely. so he can take care of that sort of thing. Um, also, the drive was only in that situation for Pickett to have that scramble because they negated the Deontay Johnson first down for taunting, which, again, I need to go read the super advanced version of the rule book myself for this. But that shouldn't have been an offsetting penalty for the Akello Witherspoon penalty because well, it was, he was a being dead too ball mean. penalty. He was being, he was being too mean. mean. Okay, he well, I can't, argue, he was I can't argue with that. He shouldn't have been mean. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, Ronan, great job. Um, we appreciated that. That was a that was a lot of fun. We'll we'll find more reasons to do silly stuff like that moving forward. But Ben, go ahead and take us into the barbecue pit. All right. Time for Ben's burning questions. Uh, the first one for this week is, which NFL team is still fooling us? And what I mean by that is, out of teams that have a winning record, which team should actually not be playing that well or will not look that good in the second half of the season? Or out of the teams that have losing records or maybe just flatline records, which NFL team do you feel like is going to play a lot better than that because you still have some faith in them. So, Ronald, I'm going to let you get started, man. Um, okay, with those premises being set, my answer might be a little bit extreme, but my answer is the Bills um, because what we've seen from them in the past two, maybe three years is it's this very talented team, right, with you know just littered with guys who can make explosion plays you know, play in and play out. Yet, whenever it gets down to the big moment, it just goes kind of south. Um, whether that's, you know, against a, a team that they're the underdog against or uh, an AFC East rival, it just seems like whenever – I don't know if it's even situational. This is just a team that lacks consistency. And Josh Allen being kind of the gambler uh, – puck it up quarterback that he is kind of leads them into that path. And whenever they don't necessarily have a, uh, an astounding run game and they don't have a bolstering defense because for whatever reason so far this year, at times they've been good, but we just haven't seen the Bills defense fire on all cylinders, it seems. Um, th that kind of just leads me to believe that this Bills team might be lying to us. And, you know, going into the last season, we kind of crowned them the, the Super Bowl champions before the season even started. And going into this season, it seemed like everybody was expecting a, a Josh Allen MVP kind of revenge season. And we haven't really seen any of it. Like I said, we've just kind of seen inconsistency. And so I'm going to have to unfortunately roll with the Bills here. Now, do I think that they're completely screwed and everything's chalked and they need to pack it all up? Absolutely not. I think this team has all of, all of the capabilities to go out there and win the Super Bowl uh, because of the quarterback that they have and the talent that they have. But they've got to find that consistency, and that might boil down to coaching. 
um, which is something that maybe in Buffalo, nobody's really pointed a finger at, hey, maybe preparation has kind of been an issue. Uh, not to sit here and say that it's McDermott's fault, but it, it might be time to kind of broaden our, our view on the Bills and maybe take another shot at what's going wrong other than Josh Allen throws picks. Because, yes, that definitely is a factor, but why else are they losing? This is a Fair great enough. one. Um, I, I like Ronan's a lot. So, Ronan, you're, is your side of picking the Bills that – they aren't the team we thought they were two weeks ago, or they're not the team that they've shown they are these last two weeks. They're not the team that we all expect them expected them to be heading into the season because gotcha. we were kind of expecting them. At least I was, I don't want to speak for you guys and yeah. the NFL mm-hmm. as a whole, but I was expecting them to be a juggernaut, you know, right up there with KC and really, that's it. I, I thought it was kind of between KC and Buffalo, and they just haven't necessarily, uh, to put it into like UFC or boxing terms, they haven't gotten to that number one contender spot because Kansas City is that champion right now, or at least reigning champion. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not completely out on Buffalo, but it, yeah. it it's just a little bit worrisome. Yeah. Um, I think – for me, I almost want to take it from the opposite end and say I think Buffalo is fooling us with what they've done these last two weeks. Is there a consistency issue with Buffalo? Absolutely. But like you said, Rona, there there's always been that. They're they're always good for an inexplicable drop off in play for a four to five week stretch, and then they remember that they're an elite team. Um, now I'm more worried about the defensive end of that. We'll, we'll I'm sure talk about that. Um, kind of over the next week or so as we get into trade deadline stuff and like what guys could be on the move, but I am worried about this team's defense. So maybe in that sense, I, I'm on board with you Um, to look at some of these other teams here. I, I think Cleveland is, is going to be one with this, with the caveat of like, are they going to continue to be what looked like a top five team for the first couple of weeks? If their quarterback play continues to be inconsistent or just bad. Um, so that's another one. And until up until this week, my answer to this would have been the Raiders sitting at three and three when we have known they're a bottom three team in this league all season long and we've just been waiting for it. But then they lose 30 to 12 to Bajent, whose first name I can never remember. So I, I think everyone is kind of caught up on that one. Um those I think are probably my my biggest ones. I guess you know Tampa was uh was Tampa on a bye this week. I don't even know what Tampa was doing this week. Uh, lost there. to Atlanta. That's right. No, they. Yep, you're right. So that probably would have been my other pick. Like, uh, they were three and two going coming into this week. So, um, teams were starting to think that hey, maybe them and Baker could hang around. But everyone's probably coming off of the Bucks now at this point. Um, but I guess my official answer will also be the Bills. But from the other end, Ben, that I, I don't think they're this team we've seen these last two weeks. What about you? All right. And my answer is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, which may seem a little odd because they're four and two. But in all reality, they have Good not one. played very well this season. They could very easily be two and four. So even though they're four and two, I don't think they've played anywhere near up to what they're capable of playing. I expected Kenny Pickett to do better than what he's doing. 
I expected that defense, which has people, talented people all over the place, which hasn't been a bad defense, but it hasn't yet been the crackdown defense that I thought it really could be. I thought it could be top five, top seven, maybe even top two, depending on how well they really got things together. That offensive line hasn't been bad by any stretch, but it hasn't been as crisp as I think it can be later in the season because we typically see Mike Tomlin offensive lines get better as the season goes along, not worse. We typically see his teams get better. And so I, I picked him for a Super Bowl run at the start of the season, and we've seen nothing like that. I mean, even though they're four and two, we haven't seen a single glimpse of what looks like a Super Bowl team yet. But I still think that they can be a lot better. There's talent everywhere. Deontay Johnson is back now. I really think that offensive line can really play a whole lot better in the second half of the season as they start to continue to work together. And we know the Mike Tomlin teams typically, not always, typically play better in the second half of the season. And the, the talent is there. So that's my team that even though they are 4-2, and two, they have not looked good. And that's the team I think can really do a lot better than what they're doing. It won't be easy. They've got a Everybody in that division has a tough schedule. They're going to be beating the crap out of each other. But still, I think the Steelers have the ability to do a lot better. Hey, everyone. I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robertson Vire, And we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter at Odds on Favorite and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy. And I'm Austin. And we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes. And that's tricky with two eyes here's a different question it's a little bit uh, a little bit out of the box for us but uh, one i wanted to hit tonight which current nfl head coach would be the one that you would want to play for if you were a player and again this isn't necessarily who are you thinking is the best nfl head coach but a guy that you would want to play for out of the head coaches in the league who looks like the most fun to you or the most enjoyable to you or would really seem most aligned with who you are as a person and as a potential player rona kick it off now you know, um, I I had a lot of fun with this one, Ben. I really liked this prompt. I like both of these um, for the barbecue tonight so far. And uh, I I think I ultimately ended up on Mike McDaniel. Um, his play style, whenever he first got there and he kind of like coddled Tua and was like, no, nobody, no, no, don't listen to them. It's us versus the world. I, I loved that. Like the and I I, I kind of have like a soft spot for Tua, so like that might well wow, not something it. you get on this podcast. Are you trying to tell us something, Ronan? Do do we need well, to be nicer to you? Well, that that would be nice. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, like if you if you want to, you know, like I'm not going <laughs> to stop you. But uh, Mike McDaniel, he's got a hilarious personality. Um, all of his interviews are gold. I don't know if you've ever gone down the rabbit hole of just like YouTube Mike Mike McDaniel interviews, but they're pretty <laughs> solid. Uh, the one I believe on the Pat McAfee show was pretty hilarious off the top of my head. Um, but just his kind of different view on just the league, right? He's a younger coach. 
Um, he's like, what, what was it? The, the hitting the vape on the sideline. Could you imagine if, if like, Rabel or like, any, who, anybody, fill in the blank, Doug Peterson was found like vaping on the sideline? Like, or, oh, God, like Frank Reich. Come on, dude. But like Mike <laughs> McDaniel, you're just kind of like, okay. I don't know. He's just got a fun vibe. Uh, it seems like the locker room loves him. And he wins games. And that's something you can't really knock. Simon, how about you? Who are you playing for? Uh, well, Mike Tomlin would be my answer. But Ben did give us the caveat of don't don't just pick your, your favorite team's coach. But, I mean, that's the guy that everybody just wants to go around and play for. I mean, so so I would love that. Mike McDaniel is very interesting. Um, a per, I think I would love to hang out with Mike McDaniel, but I think if he's my like boss, right? Think of it from a boss employee employer standpoint. I always hate when my employer like just like is like giving me all these like metaphors and like talking my ear off and like not getting to the point. I'm like, look, bro, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll, I'll go do it. Um, that you guys see, there was a super anonymous and probably not real report like a month ago that was like people within the Dolphins organization are starting to get tired with the way Mike McDaniel talks and is like the roundabout <laughs> nature and theoretical blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, listen, this, I know this isn't true, but also I feel that that would kill me at some point. Um, so to answer the question as it is written and with the caveats that is expressed, if I am an offensive player, I want to play for Andy Reid. I think he's one of the most prepared and, ingenuitive offensive minds in the league and i think he's got the chance to get me the best contract possible because he's going to put together great offense and i am all about that money um and if i am a specialist or a defensive player or just some kind of joe schmo mucking it up at the end of the roster uh dan campbell i mean that guy i i want my boss to care about what we're doing just as much or more than i do um I want to know that what I do matters to that coach. Um, I want to know that they're going at it every single day the same way that anybody else on the in the organization would have to. And I don't think a single person in the NFL cares about what they're doing more than that guy. So uh, that would be that would be my my answer. If I'm not a a starting offensive player who who could make some real money, Dan Campbell. Otherwise, Ben, I'm going to totally cheat and pick out three different guys since I came up with the question. But while I'm doing that, if y'all want to come up with more answers or if you want to come up with somebody you absolutely would not want to play for, that's fine too. So let me rattle off my three. I would like Mike McDaniel as well. Um, I think I like his honest approach. Now listen, some of the metaphors are going to get old in a hurry. <laughs> There's no question about it. But I do like his honest approach. I, I have spent a lot of time in my lifetime being BSed by a lot of people. So I appreciate somebody who's got a down-to-earth, honest approach and doesn't have a whole lot of pretense going on. I like that. My second one would be Sean McVay. I, I really like the way – and listen, I'm sure Sean McVay gets after his guys when he needs to, like any coach has to. You have to. But I like his positive energy, and I like his creativity. I can't stand it when people just get stuck in the mud with old traditions, and McVay is anything but an old tradition guy. He is going to stir the pot and come up with something creative, and I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, and then my, my third guy, I'd probably surprise y'all, but I, I would like Pete Carroll too. Um, he's been doing yeah, it a long right, time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he's just going to have a lot of fun out there. We're going to work, but we're going to have fun too. And, and we're going to, you know, no matter what, we might be two and five, 
but we're going to come at it with a positive approach to this game. And that's worked for him for a long time. Now, didn't the first time he was in the NFL, he was really struggling and scuffling. But he went through USC, and then he came back in the NFL with Seattle, and he's been doing this for a long time now, and it's worked very well for him. So I would like Pete Carroll as well. Um, that, those are some of the guys that I would like. Anybody else for either of y'all on either end of the spectrum? As soon as you started talking, I knew you were going to say Pete Carroll, and that's that's a great one. I mean, that's a lot of the the Dan Campbell-ness, but also probably just like way more fun than Dan Campbell because Dan Campbell right. is like, you know he cares, but also if you're not willing to break your leg um, off by your own hands on a Tuesday, <laughs> yes. he probably won't like you all that much. So like Pete Carroll is probably like a, a happier balance of that. So I like that one a lot. But I like the uh... – Go ahead, Ronan. Sorry, I was just going to chip in on the uh, – I love the uh, Dan Campbell and Sean McVay selections. Obviously, I couldn't pick Sean McVay, but that, that would have been one of my top ones as well. Sorry, go ahead. Listen, I love Dan Campbell. I could not play for him because, um, again, <laughs> it, at some point he's probably going to cry, and I can't handle that. And at some point he's probably going to road rage on everybody on the whole team, and I don't really care for that either, all right? So – it's just too much emotion. I, I can handle some positive energy and let's go get this done. Same thing with Robert Sala, New York Jets. Man, you talk about <laughs> up and down emotionally and, you know, you get a few, you know, high-end, I don't know, BS speeches about <laughs> what we're going to do. And I, For me, I can't handle that. It's just the way I'm wired. But, yeah, give me the Sean McVay's and Pete Carroll kind of guys. I can, I'm okay with that. I'd be worried Sean McVay's gonna like pick up and leave week nine and go get like a hundred million dollar deal with Fox That's a or low something. Blow. Yeah, low I, blow. I I would just be so like terrified. You know, it, it's that it's that boss that you're like, man, I I saw them on Indeed last week in their office. I just don't. What am What are we doing here? Do I need to be doing something? Should I call my age? Uh, yeah, just yeah, I'd be worried about that. Fair enough. All right, Ronan, what's your one last thing around the NFL, man? Ben, I don't know if you noticed because uh, halfway through the game, they went ahead and shut it off on most networks. Um, the <laughs> Ravens routed the Lions. I mean, like, routed them 38-6. to six. Uh, Lamar Jackson had himself a heck of a game, 21 for 27, 357 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, had a rating of 155.8. He went off. Oh, and by the way, on top of that, nine rushes, 36 yards, another touchdown. Uh, as a team, the Ravens rushed for 146 yards and two touchdowns, one of which, for mention, Jackson touchdown. Um, this Ravens team is looking pretty good. And Lamar Jackson is having a nice little bounce-back season after the uh, – contract little disgruntled disagreement whatever you want to call it uh he's showing that he is worth the money uh, when healthy this ravens team is a very 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 difficult team to beat and on the flip side this lions team who everybody's been raving about right very fun to watch explosive offense beat the chiefs week one jared goff 33 of 53 284 yards, no touchdowns in a pick. He was sacked five times. Very rough outing for the Lions. Jameer Gibbs was starting at running back because David Montgomery is going to be out for a little bit. He had 11 carries for 68 yards, had his first NFL touchdown. Uh, on top of that, he had nine receptions for 58 yards. 
And Amon Ross St. Brown led the way receiving for the Lions for 13 receptions, 102 yards. But all in all, a routing by the Ravens. Uh, going to be very interesting to see how Dan Campbell and the Lions respond um, because this is one of those teams that if you see them get punched in the mouth, you expect them to retaliate. So yeah, I'm expecting big things from that offense next week, Ben. Big day for them, from the Ravens, no doubt. I, I was watching it, got switched off of it as well to the Falcons and the Buccaneers. Um, Simon? We'll probably do something on this next week, but next week is the NFL trade deadline, Tuesday, October 31st. Um, but we will probably see a couple more moves kind of trickle in as the week goes. So I'm just excited to see what other teams continue to try and push the chips in. Uh, it doesn't feel like anything that happened this week um, with any of the teams may have resulted in a team like being like, ah, oh, you know what, let's tank, let's sell off the last remaining pieces. Um, so it's going to be interesting which guys actually end up do get uh, do end up being moved. Uh, is it as high end as Devonte Adams or or Pat Sertan the second, or is it just going to be more Miko Hardman's and you know stuff like that? So um, I can't think of who like a middling kind of person like Zach Ertz. Does Zach Ertz get traded from the Cardinals to somewhere like like the Chiefs, where he's going to have four catches in in the divisional round of the playoffs? That's really important, right? Stuff like that. So we'll we'll do probably a, a more of a real segment on the trade deadline. Uh, next week, since we'll have that eight-hour window that the podcast is out before the deadline actually happens, um, but just you know, I'm I'm looking to see who makes moves. Right? Do the Buffalo Bills do something to improve this defense? Do uh, do the Detroit Lions try to capitalize right now? Do the Dallas Cowboys add a running back? Stuff like that. I, I'm excited to see who kind of pushes the chips in this year. Um, should be should be a ton of fun to see, Ben. Yeah, I would love to see it because, you know, I think y'all are old enough to remember. I definitely am old enough to remember. There was a time in the NFL when trades just didn't happen any time of year at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, forget the middle of the season. What are you What are you crazy? <laughs> we don't trade players in the middle of the season. It would never work. Uh, too much time getting re- reoriented with the new team. I love seeing the trades in the middle of the season, any time of year, but especially the middle of the season. It's it's just like baseball and basketball. I absolutely love it. So I'm, I'm hoping a couple of teams pull something off. For me, my last thing of the week is hats off to Shane Steichen, coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He's it, And it's not just this week, but let's start with this week, this tremendous Browns defense, which is still a tremendous defense. There's no question about it. And I realize there's some penalties and, and some, some fumbles and, and things that made this a weird game. But the Indianapolis Colts this week against that insane Browns defense with Gardner Minshew at quarterback had 305 yards passing and 168 yards rushing, and that's, what, 470 yards of freaking offense? And the the Colts' roster isn't a great roster either. It's not like they're flowing with talent everywhere. And and then you add to the fact that, that Steichen started off this season with a rookie playing quarterback right off the bat, and that rookie already looked better in four weeks than we thought, I thought, he was going to this soon. Love to seal him, but I said, hey, give him a year or two. Give him a year to settle in. No, nope, Shane Steichen doesn't need a year. He got a few weeks in the offseason, and he's good to go. And they were moving the ball up and down the field. The yardage totals weren't huge, but still, moving the football, scoring points, competing in games. They're three and four. 
and then Richardson goes down, and you bring in Minshew, who, granted, is a good backup quarterback, but he's a backup quarterback. He is not a starter, and they are still in here competing. So hats off to Shane Steichen. I still figure the Colts down the stretch kind of lose steam, and, and I don't think they have enough to kind of keep punching this way. But hats off to Shane Steichen here for the first seven weeks. He's really taken a lot of what he did in Philadelphia, and he's transplanted a lot of that success here for the Colts. So really love the start he's getting off to. They'll have to keep adding to it next offseason and coming up with more ways to compete and actually win, win games and win a division. But I love the start that he's off to. I really like everything he's doing. Simon. Totally agree, Ben. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you have a great week. Make sure you're checking out all the podcasts on Box Score Network. We've got one coming out for you every day this week. Tons of football. Get a little uh, MLB playoff stuff coming in as well, I am sure. Um, so make sure you go check out all the pods on the ads you guys listen to today. Thank you so much for listening to the Stat Sheet Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Stat Sheet Pod. Follow Box Score at B Score Network. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get everything instantly sent to you when we have an episode. Um, thank you all so much. Have a good week.